Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast. I'm Manu Feit. And not here today is Stefan Bianchowski, but that's fine because um, I recruited, well, they're pretty much the usual cast now. It's just how it is. And that's Chris Williams and Matt Ford. Um, first of all, Chris, how are you doing? Um, great to have you back on the show. Uh, thanks for inviting me back on. Doing very well, thanks. Um, lots uh, lots going on. Um, tons of football. A little bit of a break coming up. But yeah, yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. Yeah, it's, I mean, inviting you on. Like, come on, you're a staple founding member of this podcast <laughs> it's always good to hear your voice um and matt how are you doing how how, are you, how is the international break treating you yeah i, I quite like international breaks um, uh, mainly that I, I tend to switch off for a little bit um so it's like it's like having a little break in the season so yeah nice have a, nice have a break and nice to nice to look back over uh over the over the proper football before the other football starts Yeah, I, I actually really enjoy it too. Um, I took a little bit of a break. Um, I'm doing this this podcast and Stefan is taking the other two podcasts this week because I'm I'm on holiday. I'm in Montreal for a week. I've been asked by a lot of people if I'm going to go to the German games in Hartford and Philadelphia. And I'm like, nah, I need a break. Um, but yeah, guys, we have a lot to chat about. So we're going to make the introduction round really quick and go straight into the ad and then talk... Dortmund, uh, Union Berlin, we have Leverkusen, we have a little bit about, we have a lot about Köln. I know Matt, you're an expert here, so I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about Köln. We're going to touch a little bit about Stuttgart too. Lots of great topics, so let's dive into it right after this break. This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Football is back, and Bet Online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with all the up to minute stats, news scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to college football playoff and Super Bowl, BetOnline gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code, BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, boys, um, let's do this. Let's chat some real football, not American football, because who cares about that? Um, I want to start with the the Dortmund Union Berlin game. And Chris, Dortmund scored four goals on Union. Um, I tipped three two for this game, um, and someone joked about me. Uh, joke made a joke that you know if if. Dortmund actually managed to score three goals or more. They would buy me a beer at the next American football game I'm going to. So Eric Bernagel, um, I like hazy IPAs. Uh, I'll tell you where you can find me at this Apple Cup thing that I'm going to in November. So just want to give you a shout out here. But Chris, four goals by Dortmund against Union Berlin. Um, this, I think, was a much needed result for them, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, most definitely for Dortmund. I think people have, I mean, me included, have, have asked a little questions of them lately are they serious title challenges have they got you know what's needed to sustain that are they i mean don't want to say that i don't want to question their mentality because i don't want marco royce coming after me but um you know it's an age-old question isn't it have Dortmund got what it takes to win the title um as we saw last year no um but it was a real big result for them because i think he was under a little bit of pressure um and against the side that have for the last couple of seasons been playing really well and It wasn't that long ago that I was at the flip of this fixture where Union Berlin beat Dortmund um, in Copenhagen and it was a fantastic game to be at. Um, and, and yeah, so it, it, it normally is a challenge and one that they came through in the end. But once again, they were asked questions early on, weren't they? Yeah, I'm, I'm mad. And Chris, I know you probably have some opinions about this too. 
before we talk about all the good stuff for Dortmund and then some of the bad stuff about Union Berlin, let's talk about VAR. Because <laughs> we had the WhatsApp chat going like crazy on this VR and, you know, all the discussions around it. Uh, remind me again, how often did VR get involved in this first half three times, Matt? Do you remember? Yeah, I think three, I think I, I noted down three times. And, yeah. Um, I was actually quite interested to see that when I was noting them down, um, I was doing so with the help of the of, of the highlights and actually making a note of, you know, when the, when the whistle was blown for a certain foul and then counting the time until the actual penalty or whatever decision was made and then yeah counted up each time you're four minutes two minutes three minutes whatever whatever it was uh, and then noticed that there were only six minutes in inverted commas uh, added on at the end of the first half um when there must have when there must have been more in terms of just based on my really really amateur counting off the highlights package uh but then i also uh, came across a an article in uh, in Kicker magazine here in here in Germany pointing out that there had actually been a total of fifteen minutes of VAR delay in that first half, uh, but only six minutes added time. So um, I'd, I'd probably trust their figures a bit more than a bit more than mine. So it was certainly um, yeah certainly a significant feature of the first half. So I think um, I think it, it really was a game of a game of two halves. I know it's an old I know it's an old um, an old cliche but that normally refers to two different team performances uh, whereas in, in this on this occasion it actually referred to the influence of the of the video assistant um Edin Terzic after the game himself also made a point of referencing um the extent to which he believed the VAR delays disrupted the tempo and the rhythm of the game and perhaps prevented Dortmund from getting into a real flow um yeah maybe I think it's legitimate complaint to make um, on the on the other hand, you can quite legitimately argue this season that Dortmund don't necessarily need the AR delays to stop them getting into a decent flow. Um, there's uh, as as Chris was saying, there's there's been enough uh, enough examples of that this season. However, um, it's also true, and they showed this in the second half on uh, on Saturday against Union. It's also true that Dortmund are slowly coming into a, a something resembling a little bit of form. Um, yeah, the last, the last few games, starting with the 1-0 win over Wolfsburg, then going on to the win away at Hoffenheim, where they, they fought with 10 men for a period. And then what I thought was actually a very decent performance against AC Milan, albeit without the without the goals. Could could yet cost them, cost them dearly, but it was a, it was a decent performance. Uh, and then this second half performance against Union, I thought was actually really, really good. So there's, um, yeah, slowly some some glimpse, glimpses of, of light for, for Dortmund, I think. Chris, the... Full group goal, I think, and Matt points it out. Six minutes, um, and in, they actually mentioned it on the official Bundesliga.com app um, as well. So Matt, you count, you you got it right. It was six minutes, twenty third minute, the goal was scored. Um, that that was the full group equalizer or taking off equalizer, right? And in the twenty ninth minute, they decided it was offside. That's six minutes. Like, how do we account for that time and the amount of time it takes? And how do we get better with this? I mean, it's not just a question for Germany, is it? It's a question for, I mean, they're asking the same question in Italy. They're asking the same question in Spain, asking the same question in England. Um, Champions League are using uh, semi-automated offsides, which makes it a lot quicker. Um, but yeah, until they do something, um, me personally... We're going down to like millimeters, which I know the law's black and white, uh, you know, and, and if any part of the ball that can legally play the, you know, any part of the body that can legally play the ball is advanced the second last defender, it's offside. But there is still in the law that you could be level. Where's level? If you're going, you, you'll never get level if you can go down to two and three millimeters. Um, it's, uh, it's a difficult one, but it shouldn't be taking that long. Um, and then obviously the penalty, once again, is that. A, a good use of it. The, the penalty is no penalty on on the field. Um, is it a penalty? Subjective. Is it a clear and obvious error? You know, something else you can chat about. Um, but yeah, it, it it did stop and start that first half. But as Matt's already said, Dortmund sometimes don't need any help from anyone to have a bit of a a bad half. But they really turned it on second half. It was all I, I said to you. It was almost like a cup final at times. It was 
know, end like completely end to end, like there was a lot more on the line than three points. Um, it's fascinating watch that second half. Chris and Matt, I know Matt, you and I in particular had a very <laughs> emotional exchange in our WhatsApp chat. It's too bad Stefan isn't here because he got involved as well. But um, how would you guys feel about a coach's challenge for VR instead of making every decision go through with you? They do this in, in hockey here in, in Canada and in, in, in the US where basically the referee gets a coach's challenge. And if he gets it wrong, it's a, it's a two-minute uh, penalty. So, you know, they, they have to be really careful about this decision. Um, and it works particularly well for offside. They use it for other things as well, but offside is one where it comes out quite often. And um, it has to be clear and obvious. How, how First, you, Chris, how do you feel about that? And of course, Matt, uh, feel free to chime in as well. Um, I'm going to say no, because I would have said yes, but now there's a subjective element to offside so it used to it's an absolute it's black and white um, that's changed the, there is a subjective element to it so especially if someone has they deliberately played the ball or not that's subjective um and i think there's there's, there's that and at refereeing myself I, I know for a fact that you know most players don't know most of the laws of the game so I'd, i wouldn't appreciate that that many coaches do we i listen to post-match interviews but, okay, that, can but... I quickly insert that like, wouldn't that force coaches to know the rules better because if they get it wrong there could be a penalty involved I mean yeah potentially um, but uh, I'm still of the opinion that VAR works if it's if it's not overused and if it's not so that for me that penalty in Dortmund is the wrong use of it because Hummels puts his foot out to block the ball in my mind and the it's the follow through the kick that kicks into his foot I don't think it's a careless challenge I think it goes to block the ball it's subjective the penalty wasn't given on field I don't feel that's a I don't feel that is an overturned error um, I don't think it's something that I should be getting involved in and obviously then you've got the delay you've got to go over to the screen you've got to look at it it's re-refereeing that that area it's the age old question when does it come in because we all thought it would come in for you know blatant trip or someone's punched a ball over the line like a Maradona sort of thing um, but there's no creep in it but then there's certain times it can be used and certain times it can't be used I, I, it's it's just I wouldn't say it's been rushed in because it's been in for like five or six seasons now in fact probably even more because you lose two years of COVID forget how long it's been in um, but I don't think it's been brought in particularly well I think it's a good idea but it's not being executed very well and it leaves a lot of ifs buts and maybes which doesn't help because it was supposed to stop that mm. what do you think Matt um, to be honest I'm a, I'm a little bit reluctant to sort of go too much into it because as I, I think that fundamentally football's just got itself into an absolutely terrible mess uh-huh. um, with the with with everything and it's not just the implement the, the day to day or game to game implementation of it or the various interpretations of various laws uh-huh. Um I think you can debate you can debate that all day. Um, just goes to you know, just goes to reinforce the subjectivity of the whole thing. To be honest, but as I feel like the whole experiment right from the start has been has been based on has been based on a fallacy. Uh, this, uh-huh. this fallacy that you that you can achieve an objective perfection um, in 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 football. And um, I ultimately I'm I'm of the opinion that you just can't. Um, and I suppose then. Uh, it comes down to two fundamental readings of the game, and to the, I suppose the the fundamental degree to which you are, or to which anybody is is happy to um, to sacrifice, I suppose the flow and natural spontaneous enjoyment of the game, um, in order to achieve this perfection. Um, I think the, the, there can be degrees of that. Uh, personally, and that is just me personally, I, I'm I'm not prepared to really sacrifice any of that. Um, and then when people say, "Oh, but you, know, you need to get the decision right," um, I, I disagree. I, I don't think you do. I think football's fine. Um, and I think, especially when it comes to, I think Chris just mentioned before the issue of of, of things going down to millimeters on offside calls. Um, as far as I was aware, the the if you go back to if you go back to playing like playing football in the school playground, the point of the offside is to stop people goal hanging. That's the point of the rule is to is to stop players goal hanging, that and to make sure they don't just you don't end up having three strikers stood up front waiting for long balls. That that's the point of it. Now, if you need 
calibrated lines to measure millimeters between players, then you know, as far as I'm concerned, the rules are the rules are already done its job. Um, I think if you can't see it with you with you with a with a with the naked eye, then it 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 can't be that much of an advantage. So I just I would I would leave it, and I mean that because uh, I'm I'm not I'm not pre- personally prepared to sacrifice the the flow of the game and the experience and. That's fine. I think it's fine if if people disagree with that. That's fine. Um, but I I do I do come to that conclusion from the point of view um, of as uh, yeah a supporter and an observer who's often in the stadium and I make no bones about that and I make no excuse or no 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 apology for that. Um, uh, and you and shouldn't. It, 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 honestly, it does, mad and it absolutely does. It, it it affects it. It it affects it a lot. And um, I think I, I was I was. In fact, no. I think it was I mentioned it to 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 you on the on the chat a couple of weeks ago after the Dortmund Hoffenheim game, um, and again, not saying that I would necessarily get so wound up about it. However, I absolutely do sense a quite tangible anger in stadiums in Germany at the moment, week in week out at these decisions, um, and I do worry a little bit about how far that could go if the ang- when the anger boils over we often praise german fans for their you know, how organized they are and how you know we, we we praise them for their protests and holding holding clubs leagues associations to account you know ensuring that football doesn't get too ridiculously over commercialized however those same forces could but can, can also go in the other direction and they can be used to to be quite they, they can be quite disruptive if they want to be I do wonder if if football's pushing it a little bit because uh, it's becoming quite it's becoming quite unbearable. That that first half, Dortmund doing yawn, um, like I tweeted at the time, it was seriously uh, unenjoyable, and I wasn't even at the game this time. Yeah, no, I I would agree with you there, and I I think you make a really excellent point about this need of perfection. Um, Manny, can I just jump in there? Yeah, Matt, you're going to go and play football later on this evening as we record this. And the beauty that used to be about football is that if you and I were playing this evening, we play to the same laws and the same expectations at the very top of the game. And it, it almost, if you bring in too much technology, it almost splits that. And then it doesn't help anybody else who isn't using that technology because the expectation when people watch the television is that degree of yeah almost you know unachievable perfection as Matt's already said um, I, 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 I'm, I'm with you there um, so I do goal line it. technology I think is brilliant because yeah. it's instant and now yeah. all, it will yeah. malfunction yeah. occasionally yeah. but it's instant it's there as a ball across the line yeah. no it's not over by one millimetre and I know I'm saying about offside being a millimetre but the law says the whole of the ball's got to be over the line. So if it's not two millimeters over the line, it's not. Now you, you're not going to get that on a Saturday. I do. I appreciate that. Pum, someone's going to say either it's in or it's not, and it's best guess at that at that instant. But if you can have instantaneous result, then why not? Because it doesn't slow the game down. But I have noticed the past maybe year and a half that there seems to be a a, a grasp for a hundred percent perfection. Um, and you're never going to get it. And maybe that's, you know, most of it's subjective anyway. So you can have a VR intervention and it, it's subjective. But that's why referees don't change the decision or sometimes they do change the decision. Sometimes it's out. Well, does the VAR argue their subjectivity? Um, it, yeah, it's it's re-refereeing at times. That's, Chris, why I like the coach's challenge when you just give one um, for each coach and they have to get it right. Which you know, like I, I, my suggestion would be you take away a substitution if they get it wrong, right? And maybe don't do it for something like offside. Do it for like a penalty, um, a missed penalty, you know. Um, but I, I am with you with with this need of perfection because you're not gonna get that. And I, I read this really interesting article about baseball uh, where they tried to bring in a. It's called a robo arm. Don't ask me why it's called that. Where they basically replace the umpire with a computer that decides whether a pitch was thrown right or not, whether it was a strike or not, right? And they got the system perfect, but they actually didn't go along with it because they didn't want that sort of perfection. The players and the umpires didn't like it. And I think, you know, there is almost like a beauty of not getting it always right. 
um, if that makes sense. And that kind of resonated with me when I read that with what's going on in in football at the moment. I mean, and then playing devil's advocate here because yeah. um, I also I, I would personally happily see it all scrapped. But devil's advocate argument is that particularly professional football has got itself into such a situation where these these decisions can be worth millions, if not billions, of um, of euros to clubs and leagues and advertisers and sponsors and nation states and whoever the other whatever other well, that's interested why you need to parties there might be. Yeah, you need to rein it in. Um, you need to limit it, right? You can't like yeah. you can't have a situation where you have a half like this where there's 16 minutes spent on a, on on VR. Also, by the way, on that on that note of 16 extra minutes, um, this was a point made at the start of the season. I think as a result of the extra time that had been added in the Qatar World Cup games and also in the Women's World Cup games, uh, about if you if you tally up all these 10 minute, 12 minute extra time or injury times over the course of the season, you're almost looking at uh, like an extra game or so. Um, for for um, for players, and I wonder actually what effect that could have, and not just on players, on the players' health and uh, and well being and, and their their recovery times. But I've also noticed sometimes on some of the TV schedules, um, where the TV, I mean, particularly again depends on the country, I suppose. But here on here in in Germany on Sunday, it was the uh, zone who had the the broadcasting rights for the three games and. Given that on that particular that particular Sunday there, there were three, it was all quite narrowly um, scheduled one after the other. And if you have one game then lasting fifteen minutes longer, you end up missing the start of the next game. Um, and again, that that might just be a minor annoyance for a fan watching on telly. However, it could have serious financial implications for sponsors. Uh, and rights holders, um, etc. So it's throwing up all sorts of issues. Um, and again, just on the on the issue of challenges, that's that that is actually somewhere where I even even I would be be, be happy to compromise on on that because I think it's maybe a little bit utopian and unrealistic to expect the AR to be totally scrapped. However, I could maybe get on board with some sort of challenge thing, one challenge per half. Yeah, may, maybe. You know, it, I, we should move on and talk about Union Berlin here, but maybe <laughs> we, we, I think we all, I mean, this was obvious from this chat that we had, but like, I think we all come, we are all more or less in agreement that it needs to be reined in. The current status is not acceptable. I think they, we're pretty much in agreement there. Um, okay, Chris, Union Berlin, let's move on before, because I think we could do talk this entire podcast just about VER. Um, I do think it's a fascinating topic, though. But Union Berlin, what's going on there? This is their longest losing streak since they've been promoted in the Bundesliga, of, of course, across all across all competitions, but even just within the Bundesliga. Um, is it too far to say that they've been found out, or is it just the chemistry isn't there yet because of all the moves that they've made? You've recently written about them. Um, tell me your thoughts about Union Berlin. What's going on here? This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Football is back, and Bet Online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with all the up to minute stats, news scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with Bet Online's real time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to college football playoff and Super Bowl, BetOnline gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Yeah, when we were chatting before we started uh, recording, it it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because they've been, you know, I wrote earlier on in the season, the only thing that you shouldn't be surprised now about Union Berlin, is, uh, sorry, the only surprising thing about Union Berlin is that they shouldn't surprise you anymore because they are a very, very good side. I think they've maybe not abandoned their principles, but because they've made the Champions League, they've maybe looked at bringing in a different type of player um, that maybe hasn't um, been seen before uh, they, they've always balanced, since they come into the Bundesliga, they've always balanced a little bit with experience, with useful raw talent. Um, and of course, they've lost some of that useful raw talent as well. Um, but they just don't look the same unit that they did maybe two seasons ago. And it does play into that fear that I had 
at the end of last season, which I was I was delighted they made the Champions League because it was um, you know it was real good thing for them because they deserved it and they qualified and it wasn't by luck and it wasn't you know by any sort of fluke they they were absolutely deserved their position but the step up from the conference league and europa league to champions league is massive um and clubs find it hard leipzig found it very hard to balance um tuesday slash wednesday football domestically um you know when they came into the league and they finished second i don't think they they even qualified for champions league the season after they just missed out didn't they um, and I've seen it before where a smaller side just can't, doesn't have the depth and, and the reliability to play these top level games. I know they were unlucky, um, midweek, but it's just, a it's a massive change in tempo of football that they've now got to do week in, week out until Christmas. Um, and then how's that going to affect the rest of their season? If they have a bad start to the season, by the time Christmas comes around and the, even the winter break, it could be too much for them. But yeah, they I thought they were they were played through the middle. If you look at the last couple of seasons, they've been great at stopping the attack at its very most prominent point. So, you know, the high press they had, they were able to turn over the ball quickly and their speed of attack was lightning. Um and they just don't seem to have that at the moment. And I don't know if it's a bit of fatigue or it's a bit that they've brought in a slightly different profile of player that hasn't fitted Fisher's, um, Fisher's mantra that he's lived by since they got into the league. So, and I do feel sorry for them because they had to do something because they've gone into the Champions League. If they'd not brought in um, the sort of experience they have this season, you could argue that they get absolutely wiped in that competition. That does nobody any favours whatsoever. Um, but yeah, it's a difficult one for them. Um, yeah, it's it's tough. I think you touched on some really interesting things here, Chris, because like I I like their signings in the summer. Gosens, of course, is, is a fantastic signing, right? And he has been actually playing really well for them. Um, Folland comes in, he hasn't quite had the impact. Um, Geraldo Becker was the man for them, right, uh, midweek against Braga, a game I think you're right, they were quite unfortunate to lose. Um, Bonucci comes in. Uh, Bonucci scores against Dortmund, makes it 2-1. Um, and you would have in the past, that would have been enough for them. You know, 2-1, you would say, okay, well, they're, they're going to be very disciplined in the second half. They're not going to allow the Dortmund come back in. Um, and then Dortmund score three unanswered goals. And that is, I think, something where I see a, a bit of a... I almost wonder if the new signings that they've brought in have ruined their chemistry a little bit. And it just will take Urs Fischer some time to A, as you said, balance the the fact that they're in two competitions or a bigger competition now with the Champions League, right? With the new faces that come in and higher profile faces that are maybe not quite as used to digging in as these. In the past, they would sign players that had like almost they needed Union Berlin for a second chance and they used that, right? So they were willing to dig in and get the job done. And I wonder maybe if these guys that they now brought in, if they kind of ruined the chemistry a little bit, what do you think here, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe it can come across a little bit unprecise, can't it? Just saying, uh, ruining the chemistry, it's like, but how do you mean it? Do you mean it in terms of how they all, how they all get on together on the personal level or the tactical chemistry? And to be honest, The tactical I chemistry, I, 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 think, I, I would say. I think there's a bit of both, to be honest. Um, and I think particularly tactically in terms of intensity of pressing and pace through through midfield, um, I feel like they were two issues that really really that really cost them against Dortmund um, on on Sunday. If you think particularly for the counter attack goal, which is started and finished by um, by by Brandt, and uh, basically in, in the middle of that features Marco Royce, who uh, despite his many qualities, he's probably not known for um, his, you know, his, his his rapid driving runs through through midfield, but that's what he was allowed to do. Can I just say one thing here, Matt, against, real quick? Against Union. One thing real quick, because like the one thing that maybe we need to also point out is uh, Schlotterbeck scores an absolute screamer, right, to equalise. Yeah. <laughs> and they have been a little unlucky with that, because that's always what happened to them against Braga. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, you can you can say that uh, there's not much you could do to to um, to legislate for either the Braga winner or, or Schlotterbeck's goal, but I think they could have done more for um, for 
for, for the for the other for the other Dortmund goals. I was just just mentioning that the Julian Brandt one started and finished. I think you can do more to stop Royce in midfield. Uh, again, not taking anything away from Dortmund, I thought it was a really, really well worked goal, particularly Brandt starting and ending the move. Um, and also for the um, deflected uh, Julian Viersen effort, again, you can talk about a little bit of bad luck on Union's part because it's taken a massive deflection. Uh, on the, the other hand, <laughs> yeah, on the other hand, the goalkeeper, but and also I think in the build-up, um, I also wondered, and maybe I'm being overly critical here, but could Robin Gosens have got a little bit closer to Julian Brandt uh, down the right? Um, so yeah, it just seems like they're lacking those, lacking those percentages in it, it, yeah, whether it's pace through midfield, getting tighter to men um, down the flanks. Um, and whether that is a result of having brought in new players who maybe don't bring the same physical intensity um, which Union built so much upon previously or whether it's less quantifiable issues such as the, the human chemistry in the squad them not being typical Union signings um, or, or the mixture of all of those. Um, yeah, it, it probably is a mixture a mixture of all those, of all those factors ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, it's hugely fascinating. Um, Chris, do you have any final thoughts on this before we move on? No, I think both absolutely nailed that there. It's it, it's true. It's just something that we're going to have to wait and see, um, reevaluate maybe during the winter pause. There is maybe there is maybe one thing I would add, and that is I, I wonder if it does have an effect on them in terms of recovery times and mental preparation by effectively playing six Champions League away games. Um, I mean, I know they don't exactly have a bad record at the Olympic Stadium. They've beaten Hertha there enough times in in recent years. Um, but it is obviously a completely different environment. Uh, you're playing in a on a what I because but it, I think it has actually a slightly bigger pitch. Not that it means a huge difference, but I think it is actually bigger. Um, and it must take a lot. It, it adds up. Um, it, it must have taken awful out out of them playing for well defending the way they did for 92, 93 minutes in the Bernabeu as well. Um, where you can argue they're also a little bit unlucky with the um, with the wind, but it must take a lot out of them. Um, and the yeah, the the mental adaptation of having to play in front of seventy three thousand of your own fans, which Union Berlin have never done ever. Um, it, it's it's a, an awful lot of changes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, guys, let's let's move on to the next topic. Um, I want to briefly mention the start because I think it's absolutely insane. This is the first time in Bundesliga history three teams have scored 22 goals plus in the first seven games of the season. Bayern, of course, with 23. Leverkusen with 23. Stuttgart with 22. Stuttgart just don't want to go away. Hey, I'm really, really sorry if you listen to my fantasy Bundesliga advice and so on. Sehu Gorassi. I was wrong. I apologize. Uh, the guy can't stop scoring. Um, that sounds like a bit of insider trading, uh, that, to be honest. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> recommending, just, uh, the, recommending uh, that people take so good. I see out there. Well, uh, let's be honest here. Like, his, like, the underlying stats suggest that this will stop at some point, right? Like, that, that's just how it's supposed to be. I didn't think that he would add another three. Come on. No one in, would. In, uh, in 15 minutes. Yeah. Was, yeah. It was, like, I mean, it that's was, in, it was impressive. Let's be yeah. honest here. That's crazy. Yeah. And yeah, and yeah, and, and yeah, I turned I turned up to the Stuttgart game this season last week when they when they played in Cologne for the one game that he didn't score. Oh, that's that is crazy. Um, fourteen goals now in his first seven games, which is a Bundesliga record, right? Uh, no, yeah, it's uh, thirteen goals. Sorry, in seven Bundesliga games, it's a new Bundesliga record, and it's also the most he's ever scored in a single league campaign. His previous record was eleven. Um. Yeah, it's just crazy. It just doesn't stop. Uh, of course, the other team is Leverkusen. Chris, Leverkusen, title candidate. What do you think here? <laughs> no. Um, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's a very flippant answer. And I only say that because they said yes the other year and then after Christmas, the arse fell out of them badly, didn't it? And, and I looked absolutely yeah. stupid. Um, but um, currently, they're playing very, very good football. Um, and... You know, I, I, Title's a big word because it's a marathon, isn't it? At the minute, they've started very, very well. Um, they've just got to keep going. But yeah, their their football. I rewatched the highlights this afternoon, and some of those some of those goals. It's just real fluid um, football from front to back. Uh, 
they are playing exceptionally well. My only fear with Leverkusen is when they do, or when they are at the very top of the game, it only takes a slight wobble um, and and they tend to fall off rapidly. Now, maybe Javi Alonso is the person to rectify that. We'll have to wait and see. But I still believe they've got a very, very good squad, one of the best in the league. Um, it's just, can they grind out those awful results that teams need around February 1-0 or if they're getting beat 2-0, can they drag back and get that draw that's needed? And obviously that's hypothetical at the minute, but going on current play, they are playing fantastic football from front to back. Um, Keeper, still an issue for me at some point, maybe. Nice guy, met him many a time, sat down and chatted with him, but prone to an error occasionally. Is that going to come up? But at the minute, they're playing very well, but I don't know if they've got what it takes to to be a sustained title challenger come May. Well, I got burned really badly the year after. Remember, Chris? You tie. I tipped them to win the title, and you did. And then they got almost relegated. Anyways, um, <laughs> I I I got burned often enough by by Leverkusen. Um, and Matt, you said in the chat when I suggested that wait till March. That's probably pretty smart. Smart suggestion. Before you go to any uh, anywhere and put a bet down on Leverkusen, maybe wait till March. But they are very good, um, and they did dominate Cologne um, in that in that game. I guess it's not a derby because Cologne lost. It's I I've learned a long time ago. It's only a Rhein derby when either Gladbach or Cologne beat Leverkusen. Otherwise, it's just another game. Um, but Matt, we do need to talk a bit about Cologne. Because there is a lot going on here. Um, they do, I said this in the preview show, but they look like a side that, that could actually get relegated. And they're such a massive club. Of course, they've been there many times before. Köln is, correct me if I'm wrong, but you live in Köln, right? Um, what's going on here? I mean, the first thing to say is that... Um... FC Köln are a club who can always get relegated, at least in this century. I don't mean that facetiously. I mean, I think yeah, since no. 1999, they've been relegated six times, um, which also means they've been promoted six times, um, which also you know takes that takes some doing. Um, yeah. However, they, they are the they are the embodiment of a of a of a German yo-yo club. Um, Do so, you know a German word for it, Matt? You want to try try that? Um, I will know this, but you've caught me out. You've caught me out for a second. Fahrstuhl, Fahrstuhl fine. Yeah, very Fahrstuhl good. <laughs> Rescued it. <laughs> well, you, have to, you had me panicking for a sec. Yeah, no. <laughs> I almost, I almost said um, Aufzugsverein, but that, because that's no, Aufzug's another word for a Fahrstuhl, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You got to bang on. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Save myself. Um, anyway, where was I? Uh, Cologne. Yeah. Um, so they can always go down, and, and I think this year, although there is obviously a long way to go, it's only been seven out of thirty-four games. However, um, it, it's it's really not looking good, and unfortunately for for Cologne, there are actually quite a few factors stacking up uh, that are not in their favour. Factors was actually started a while ago, um, but maybe probably just start with this season for the time being, or at least with the at least with the weekend, and. Um, They've been a little bit unlucky this season. Um, in fact, I actually think that the game of the weekend was probably the only the only game, ironically, where I think they were really comprehensively just outplayed and they had absolutely no chance. I think there can be absolutely zero zero complaints from from Cologne Leverkusen absolutely wiped the floor with them. Um, however, in the in the previous six games, that's not that's not actually been the case. Cologne have actually played rel- relatively okay. Um, however, they've they've always lacked that yeah that that final bit of quality. It's not even a bit of quality, and they've lacked a lot of quality in in the final third. Um, the the best example of which was the first day of the season away at Dortmund, um, a game which I was at, and I was I was um, yeah I was shocked by how poor Dortmund were, but I was pleasantly surprised at how incredibly well organised Cologne were, and then how well they broke. But they didn't score, and what what could easy what could easily have been a three nil a three nil win away at Dortmund start the season and watch the highlights back or watch that game back that's not an exaggeration. Um, suddenly turned into a one nil defeat and what has happened since then has has um has um yeah has has, has happened. Um, it 
with the squad that they have, Manu, you mentioned over the weekend, is this a, a Cologne team which looks like it's it almost given up? Or are they... they I, I don't think it's a Cologne team that's given up. And I think even ask, asking around around Cologne, the club, the city, the fan base, I don't think anybody is suggesting that any of these players are not giving their all. I think there's an appreciation that, there are, that they are. Um, and that also Stefan Baumgart is giving his all as a coach. But I think there's mm. also an acceptance. I don't think he cannot give anything. Exactly, Stefan Baumgart. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've interviewed him. Um, last November, sat down mm. and had actually a, like it's one of those interviews where you ha- it was when they were in the United States, right? So we had lots of time, so I had actually a chance to really chat with him, and he he strikes me as a character who will never give up. He's a Absolutely. little bit like I don't say they're the same person, but he's a little bit like Christian Streich that way. Absolutely, I don't think anyone would accuse him of that, um, and 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 not not the players, but I think there's an acceptance that they're not good enough. They 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 have a they have a glass ceiling and it's quite a low one, um and that's not so particularly surprised when you look at the players of the caliber they've lost. Um, obviously this season they've lost Jonas Hector who took a relatively semi early retirement, um Elias Skiri um also um also left, um and there's two absolute linchpins and two two examples of genuine international or or at least semi-international quality in the centre of a Bundesliga midfield. And that makes a huge, combined with um, Florian and Kainz, the, the captain this season, that, that, that's a massive hole, particularly when you, when you hear that both could also slot in in either fullback position as well. So you lost that, added to that a couple of years ago where they lost um, Anthony Modeste's goals. And don't forget that he scored, he actually did, he did, he did score 31, didn't he, for them? Or mm-hmm. almost 28 yep. or 30. Um, yeah, they they lost those goals, uh, and as yeah, it's as much as Anthony Modeste's obviously underwhelmed massively at Borussia Dortmund, and probably was only there because of the um tr- tragic news around uh, about Sebastian Haller. Um, it, he he was a massive part of that Cologne team because they 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 live in different worlds, Dortmund and Cologne. So uh, at Cologne, it absolutely worked. Similarly, um, Sally Özcan actually he's not been not been particularly bad for Dortmund either since he's since since he's signed. Um, however, he, yeah, he's he's gone from being a um, um, a, a stand a really standout midfielder of game changing quality for Cologne to being a player who's still battling to really make his mark on Borussia Dortmund. That's the difference in quality that you that you, that you're talking about and. Given Cologne's financial situation, they've not been able to replace any of them, and that leaves you with a logical conclusion, doesn't it? That um, the the squad is lacking five or five of their best players, and they've not they've not been able to replace them. Yeah, and I, I'm just looking up these Bundesliga stats as well, um, and what strikes out where like their shot efficiency is minus four point seven, so they're underperforming the xG essentially by. 4.7 right oh. um, so but then you look at this squad and as you said Antoni Modeste is missing he would have been the one who would have put those away right um, and I look at this squad overall and you know they have some they have a guy like uh, Davi Selka up there right hmm. uh, a perpetual underperformer um, Tigges you know is another one who some people, I think, hope that he would reach a certain ceiling. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So you're talking about strikers who, in in Stefan Tigges, uh, came through Borussia Dortmund's reserves, but ultimately, ultimately, can be said to have failed to make the grade of Borussia Dortmund. That's not to say that lads are bad footballers. Of course, that's just that the grade is so high. Um, so yeah, relying on, the, on him, he's not even making Cologne starting lineup that regularly either this season. Um, there's a be... lot of bats in that squad, is what I'm saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you're kind of hoping that someone overperforms, but mm. it's just not happening. And yeah. it's actually almost the opposite. Yeah, you look at in in, in Davies Elk, you're looking at a player who's yeah. already failed to make the breakthrough at Hertha, at, uh, at Leipzig, at, at Bremen, twice. RB, yeah. yeah. Um, so you're relying on him. Um, and it must be, if you go to the, the other end of the pitch, um, I believe. Um, Jeff Jeff Shabo, the centre back, was picked up from a Serbia Serbia R team who I forget exactly where he came from. He might be able to correct me. 
Um, but he hadn't been playing. He hadn't been playing for six months there either. But he's also coming back into the team. And as much as I thought he did a decent job last week uh, in doing a man mark a man marking job on Serge uh, Gervasi against uh, against Stuttgart, uh, he's he's massively lacking for pace and is uh, yeah can can be quite easily caught out. Um, and um, yeah. Um, Stuck pen, not stuck out. Cologne must be really wondering why Sir Hugo couldn't work out for them a few years ago. Um, when yeah, in in Cologne, he's remained he's he's remained in the memory mainly for missing an open goal against Werder Bremen a few years ago. Um, and yet here he is scoring uh, thirteen goals already for for Stuttgart. So that's that's a massive frustration as well. And they can't really do anything because they have to see it's this uh, transfer ban hanging over them. Yeah, right? the transfer ban is interesting. I'm not sure how I'm not sure how much people are necessarily aware of it. It actually started off as quite a quite a niche issue. Um, so I, so I'll go through it as briefly as I can. Basically, um, this uh, all came about a couple of well in January 2022. Um, Cologne signed uh, the then 16-year-old um, Slovenian youth player, uh, Jaka Kuba Potocnik from Olympia Ljubljana, um, who, to cut a long story short, basically accused Cologne of effectively inciting or tapping up his forward via his mother to get his contract terminated in order to be able to sign for Cologne for free and thus costing Olympia Ljubljana um, a, a transfer fee. Um, so obviously Ljubljana have then gone to uh, FIFA, FIFA eventually uh, initially ruled in their favour and um, hit, ex, hit hit Cologne with a transfer ban. Obviously, Cologne appealed that to CAS, uh, Court Arbitration for Sport, which it, for the time being have actually lifted the ban, but only temporarily until they reach a proper conclusion themselves. Um, so as it stands, Cologne have not been handed a transfer ban yet, Um but depending on the um, depending on the court of arbitration for sports decision, that they, they, they could yet be, um, which is obviously already having effect because which is just the very fact that every other club in the in 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 the transfer market know that every other player and agent knows that Cologne have got this hanging over them. It makes other every every other transfer um, tran- uh, yeah transfer negotiation more, uh, more more difficult. So they have that hanging over them, and. Um, then again, even without that, Cologne are in such financial difficulty um, that they probably would have their hands tied anyway. Um, I think the the last figures which I which I saw from Cologne for for, really for the last financial year um, noted around around fifty million euros of um, of debts, and and even that's come down from about sixty six million, so it was even worse. Um, this is a result partly of COVID, obviously, um, and and there are there are outstanding debt to be repaid to the to the to the state here. I mean, Sh- uh, Cologne, along with some other clubs such as Schalke and some others, actually took out loans which were backed up by by the by, by the federal state um, in 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 North Rhine Westphalia, uh, but those loans also need to be paid back um, among, among other loans. Um, and then those, oh, there's also the fact that they're, they're battling, they're still battling to recover from from, uh, from the most recent relegation, um, which effectively cost them any of the prize money they got from the Europa League in 2017 when they when they were in the Europa League for that one season. Um, yeah, so to cut a long story short, uh, or maybe not that short, um, Cologne are in quite a mess and. The fixtures aren't getting any easier. They're already seven games without a win now. After the after the break, uh, they've got Borussia Mönchengladbach, in which, as you mentioned before, um, is a derby. Which even Cologne, that's a real derby. Even 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 Cologne <laughs> yeah. will consider that one a derby. Even if it's they actually don't. one of the biggest derbies in Germany. Absolutely, period. absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, sporting wise, there might be an argument to say they'd have a, they might fancy their chances a bit more against against Gladbach uh, than against Leverkusen, where I think absolutely nobody expected them to get anything out of that game um, yesterday. But then after, but then again, even even Gladbach have had a couple of half decent results and have slowly started to come together a bit. So 
that's by no means a given. And after that, they've got Red Bull, um, which you really can't see them winning. And after that, it'll already be November. So you're looking at Cologne potentially being into November, nine games, and potentially only a point on the board. Um, it's it's a really, really bitter situation. That reminds me a lot of, what was that year where they almost reached a comeback and it, you know, the, the hole was just too deep. And Chris... Yeah, they looked 17, 18 bad at the minute. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. about That was the year and I, the hole was so big. Kind of like when Schalke went down too, right? Uh, the first time. Chris, when you're down this deep in that big of a hole, let's say you match day nine, you have one point, that's almost impossible to come back from. Yeah, it is. And I think when we did this podcast back in like 2017, 18, I think by the time we got to the winter break, um, I think they had like three points on the board and they were awful and everybody knew they were going down. I think they, from memory serves me, they did recover a little bit, but it was too far gone. Um, and if you look back at that side, and Matt's already mentioned, I don't think that side now is as good as it was then because um, that side had qualified for the Europa League. I remember they played really well at the Emirates Stadium. Um, I can't see that at the minute. And my fear for, um, for Clone is that if they go down, are they going to come back up again? Because I think the world's changed after COVID. We've seen we're seeing clubs go down. We don't see them again. Armenia Bielefeld is probably the most outrageous example of that, but Schalke yeah. don't yeah, look like a team. Um, yeah. That that they were, um, yeah. It's going to be it's going to be tough for them because they have got some big games coming up, as Matt just said there. Then I think at the, looking at the schedule for them at the moment, maybe you can only see them picking up some points against Augsburg or Bochum. But you don't. No one wants to be playing six pointers in early November at all. Um, yeah, it's going to be difficult for them. Uh, the, it, you both mentioned they're not even scoring. They got like four goals this season. Um, They've just been battered. Are they going to get battered again? It's, it's a difficult one because we've all seen that teams once again on that downward spiral. It's almost impossible for them to recover. And, you know, I don't like to look at the table until match day 10, but I'd be looking at the table now as far as a current fan because, you know, we're on match day seven and they've got one point on the pod. I think that I think that's a really that's a really good point that Chris makes regarding how how the economic reality has changed. For, you know, for for the for the entirety of German and European football, um, as I mentioned before, Cologne are no strangers to going back down. They've gone back down six times. They've come back up six times. Um, but I think Chris is right that this is actually this is actually different now. Um, uh, Schalke are a great example. Um, Bielefeld, uh, as you mentioned, but also that second division is getting more and more packed with clubs who are in the situation of. Hamburg, Schalke, Hanover, potentially Cologne again, Dusseldorf, and the, the list goes on. Um, it might actually get to the point where, whereby, ironically, Hamburg, having now been in that division for five years, is actually much more to their benefit in that the club is, com- is now completely structured to be a Division 2 team rather than a team like Schalke or, or Hertha or, or potentially Cologne. Um, or even even a Mainz, uh, who also having a bad start, going down now with with, with the economic difficulties, um, yeah, that surround that surround them, they're not going to have the five years to stabilise that say Hamburg have had, despite everyone laughing at Hamburg for for, for those for those failed attempts at coming back up. So it's a really dangerous situation. Um, if there's if 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 there's one perhaps. Um, silver lining if you can call it that at least for the time being uh, and yet yeah, this can also change it's that the 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 atmosphere and the attitude and the yeah the the stimmung in german around the club doesn't seem to have changed yet um i mean if cologne are known for anything that's uh, not relegations it's for having a pretty a pretty volatile, well, a, a, a volatile supporter support, which is incredibly large and incredibly loyal, but can also be quite volatile. Well, we have um, a German word for that too, Matt. What is it? I'm putting uh, you on the spot again. <laughs> I don't know. I can think, <laughs> I can think of several. I was, I was going to I'm gonna go with Kölsch. <laughs> I was going to say Chaosverein. Ka- Chaosverein. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I think Kölsch works as well. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, however, th this time at least yet, uh, and again, this can change over the course of the season depending on how bad things get. But I've not I've not sensed yet that there is um, that that attitude around the support and the club yet that this could this could get very very volatile uh, and and ugly. And and I wonder if that's maybe just um, is also rooted in an acceptance of of how things are. Um, and I'm going to just quote a couple of things here because I was I was listening to a very um, a very good podcast here this week um, um, called uh, Rasenfunk, which any if anyone speaks German, I do I do recommend people listen to it. And they were speaking to um, Axel from one of the FC uh, FC Cologne um, podcasts and uh, and another another podcast over here, um, and a Cologne member. He was basically going through the conclusions which came out of Cologne's recent AGM um, and that was ultimately quite calmly that Cologne have three choices here um, either um, they continue the um, yeah policy of selling off whatever they can around the club in order to in order to, to fund themselves which is what they were doing under under the former um, finance director Alexander Werler who's now at Who's now at Stuttgart, um, and that that policy is not is not wanted because it involves effectively selling assets against their future value, and that's that's not wanted. Also, they've got nothing left to sell. That the catering's been sold, for example. So they, they've got nothing else to sell on, on that on that uh, front. Option B would be um, sales of shares and investments. We've been through this topic, haven't we, before on on, on the podcast about how Japan see that. And particularly in Cologne, perfect example. They're a club who, okay, they might have separated the the football division out into a private, into a commercial entity, but that commercial entity is owned one hundred percent by the club, by the members, and they have actually just voted to scrap a clause in the club statutes, um, which would which would allow the board to sell twelve point five percent of shares in the case of emergency. So now the club can't even do that. Now the the, the sale of a single share in FC Köln now has to go via the membership um even in the even in the case of serious economic um, emergency so that's that's not wanted either um so option C is what they're left with which is effectively make do make do and mend with what they have and somehow try and this this goes down to um to Stefan Baumgart um and the uh, sport, the director of sport Christian Keller it's somehow scrape together a team which can survive in the Bundesliga and come at least 16th and give themselves a fighting chance. Um, and that's, for the, for the time being, that seems to be, again, this is based on my experience, that would seem to be the acceptance around Cologne at the moment. However, whether that will last another, uh, how many games have we got to go? Another 27 match days? Um, I don't know. Well, on that happy thought, we have to wrap it up. <laughs> um, so Köln is definitely a story we're going to keep an eye on. At, at, le at least it's carnival soon, so things will be At up. least it's carnival, so, so drown your sorrow in Kölsch. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the. I, I, I hope to make this a positive podcast, but I failed utterly. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, anyways, we're definitely going to address Köln again this season. I know we have a lot of Köln listeners um, to this podcast. I know it's it's still because we have a lot of listeners from the United States and it's still a surprisingly massive club in the United States, which dates back to the 70s. So we want to address this again. So we're going to have Matt back to talk about this again. This was a really good summary of what's going on right now. Let's hope it, it turns around. Um, but we are out of time today. So this show is brought to you by Bet Online. Before we wrap it up though, Chris, what have you been up to? Where can people find you? So people can find me uh, on Substack at 78 sorry at cw78 on substack uh, they could find me on twitter at chris78 williams but I've come off it because full of lunatics um so while <laughs> my profile's still on there i'm no longer active on it um <laughs> but you can find me on substack fair enough matt how about you i'm i'm considering following in chris's footsteps to be honest um, uh, again it's a different it's a different topic and a topic that i'm not particularly i don't really have much expertise in but um it is yeah uh it's a, it's a complete mess, isn't it? Social media yeah. at the moment. So, um, yeah, Twitter as usual for the time being, but I don't think that'll be going on for much longer. Otherwise, international break, and then I will be uh, I'll be back afterwards. I think first first weekend back is I think 
Mainz against Bayern, I think, after the break. Uh-huh. I think I'll be going to that. So Awesome. I'm looking forward so, to that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to club football too, but first I'm looking forward to my the rest of my holiday. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. This was a pleasure. Matt, great analysis of Köln. Um, wish it was more positive, but next time maybe. We'll be back soon. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.